Okay. Well, morning, everybody. It's great to speak at a baptism. It's great to have so many guests in the room. Can I just come down a little bit? It'd be great. Um, I'm going to just talk right at the start. I want to talk a little bit about the journey of faith and what, some of the things we're celebrating today and how this message that I'm going to preach over the next 25 minutes or so is designed to help you move on your journey. So we often talk about people when they become Christians and what you've heard today is people professing their faith in Jesus is often like a journey. It's not something that happens instantly for people. Often they start somewhere and over time, it could be quickly, it could take years and years and years, they get to a point where they kind of go, do you know what, I believe and I want to say that publicly and then I want to do something publicly that declares that. And what you've seen and heard today is people making or saying, this is where I am in my journey. And in a room like this today, we will have lots of people at different points on that journey, okay? Some of you, you've been Christians for 20-odd years, you know, or 30, 40, 50 years. Others of you, you've just become Christians. Some of us are wondering and looking and saying, is that, could that be true? Is that, what I've heard today, is there some truth in that? You know, is it worth looking at? And if you're there today, I want to just recommend to you a course called the Alpha Course. We run this course in our church And it is designed for anybody, actually depending on where you are on the journey, even if you feel like you've become a Christian, you've crossed the line of faith, if you like, you still may find this course helpful to you. But it's particularly designed for people who are wondering and asking questions about, is there some truth in this? I need to find out. I need to ask the big questions in life. And this course is something that we run. There's details of it at the back, and we would really recommend you look at it. But wherever you are, if you like, on the journey, the passage I'm going to look at and the And if you like, the message I want to take us through today is designed to help move you, whether you are asking questions about could this be true, or even maybe you feel like it is true, but you still have some questions. Okay? So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 15. Uh, This is a bit of an unusual passage to look at in a baptism, but I'm going to try and explain it as best as I can. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. It's going to come up on the screen behind us. And this passage is... Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and it's about a guy called Abram who becomes known as Abraham, and it's about an encounter that God has with Abraham. Okay, now there were a number of moments in this book where God speaks to Abraham, or Abraham feels that he encounters God, and God says certain things to him about promises, things he's going to do in his life and through him, and this one in chapter 15 is like the second moment where God is speaking to Abraham, and we're going to read from verse 1, and it says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Notice the word. So God speaks in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. So if you like a second time in a moment, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him, Abraham, outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, they clearly didn't live in London, so there was no light pollution. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And note, this is the key phrase, Abraham believed the Lord. God is making a promise to Abraham, built off what he said three chapters earlier in, in chapter 12. In chapter 12, if you read that passage, what you'll find is God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. 
You can have an heir through that heir. You can have loads of offspring, this massive extended family. And I'm going to give you land that you're in, all your sort of children's children's offspring will inherit that land. And he makes a promise. And in chapter 15, if you like, what we just read, he is echoing that. Now, the key phrase is we get to this moment where after everything God says, it says this, Abraham believed God. Something happens in this moment when God speaks to Abraham or Abraham believes that God is speaking to him where Abraham gets to a point where he says, do you know what? I believe you. I'm convinced. I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm, Abraham's listening. I don't know if you're, if you're married, you may have conversations occasionally about, are you listening to me? Yes? <laughs> yes, I am listening. And we talk about the difference between listening and agreeing and things like that, okay? Abraham is listening and he hears something deep inside of himself which resonates, which, by the way, you cannot impose on someone. Belief is something that's birthed inside out, okay? But something happens on the inside of him where he goes, I believe you, I'm convinced. In other words, he goes like, I'm in. And there's a point where Abraham goes, I'm in. Now, this is the way my, my mind works. It's a bit odd, but... When I was growing up, it just reminded me of some films I used to watch when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to love the Magnificent Seven films. Anybody else remember the Magnificent Seven films? You, these are so good. Now, for some reason, I, like growing up, I, I thought there was probably about 15 of these films. It's a bit like the kid's story, Mr. Ben, if you remember Mr. Ben. There was only about 12 of those ever made, if you ever remember that. But anyway, there was only three of these made, I think, and only probably had two of them were any good. But... I loved these films, okay? And Yul Brynner, who's the guy here closest to us, he was the hero. And basically, the storyline was pretty much the same every time, as far as I remember. There was some, it's always set in some Mexican village, and there's bandits who are terrorizing the village and nicking all their stuff. And one poor guy from the village gets sent off, and they find Yul Brynner, normally in a bar, and they recruit him. Can you come and rescue us from the bandits? And Yul Brynner goes round collecting kind of gunslingers. I loved this as a kid. And he'd find like this guy who could shoot someone from a thousand meters with his hand, you know, blindfolded and his hands tied behind his back. And, you know, amazing stuff. Could throw a, like a knife and get someone, like, you know, some guy propping up a bar, some bloke in a prison and bust him out. And he would collect this team of seven. Yeah. And they would go off and they'd, they'd somehow beat the 500 baddies and the bandits in the Mexican village would be free. And it was great. I love this film. Okay. But there was a point when Yul Brynner went round, he would meet you know, so-and-so, the gunslinger, and he would convince him, and he'd go, are you in? He'd go, I'm in. And these guys would leave whatever they were doing, and they'll go, it doesn't matter what's, whatever the cost, whatever happens, whatever dangerous situations we get into, Yule, although in the film he was Chris, okay? <laughs> I'm in. Now, I'm not saying that Genesis 15 is effectively a reincarnation of a Magnificent Seven film, or vice versa. But there's something of a parallel in the sense of that Abraham gets to a point where he says, he hears God speak. In fact, in Genesis 12, God says, get out of your situation. First thing, get out, leave. Now he says, now this is what's going to happen. And there's a point Abraham goes, I'm in. Okay, I'm convinced, I'm hearing you, I'm in. That is what happens in the gospel. Jesus speaks to people, encounters people, calls them to follow him. And eventually, at some point, someone has to go, I'm in. I'm in, I'm convinced, I'm with you. And what you've heard today, both up front here and then in the pool, is people saying, as best as I can, I'm saying, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever the cost, whatever happens, 
I'm in. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm in. Now, the question I want us to think about today, if you like, is how do you get to the point of saying to God, I'm in? What happens, if you like, for Abram to get to that point where it says, Abram believed? Now, this is a relevant question for whether you are not yet a Christian and you're wondering, or you just have questions about faith, or whether you are a Christian looking back and wondering about or having questions about your faith. How do you get to the point? What what enables you to make the journey from I'm wondering to I'm in? Okay, I want to say four things about what this is. Two things that faith is, if you like, and two, two things that faith is not, and two things that faith is. Okay, the first thing is this. Faith is not the product of perfect circumstances. Sometimes we think, well, I might commit to that or to that person or I might commit to that faith when everything is sorted and tranquil and that, I'll, I'll commit. Or when I, I might get baptized when everything is set in my life and then I'll make that step. But faith is not the product of perfect circumstances. In fact, often it's the opposite. Abraham's conviction about saying to God, okay, I believe, I'm in, is not born out of circumstances that are conducive to what God has just said to him. In fact, it's completely the opposite. God says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have a son, an heir. You're going to be offspring. And by the way, you're going to have this land. Okay? Well, if you know anything about Abraham's situation, that is completely contrary to where Abraham is right at that moment. God calls something that is not as if it is going to be. In other words... Abraham needs an heir. Well, Genesis 11, verse 30, the first thing you hear about Abraham's wife, Sarah, is that she's barren. And if you read through, what you find is Abraham's about 100 years old. Sarah's not far behind him. And even if she was younger, she's not able to to bear a child. She's not able to conceive. She's barren. In other words, Abraham is in covenant relationship with barrenness. In fact, in Romans 4, which looks back on this whole episode, it says that Abraham's body was as good as dead. Now, I don't think that's a particularly complimentary description of someone's physical description. You know, you shouldn't look at your friend and go, basically, you're about as good as dead physically, okay? But that's what it says, and that's what Abraham thought about himself. As good as dead. Faith is not the product of perfect conditions and situations. In fact, that seems to be the point. God promises something to Abraham that he knows Abraham cannot produce himself. Faith is not the certainty and conditions that we are in control of. It is about trusting someone else that they are in control. Faith is not the product of perfect circumstances. Faith is also not the same as the absence of doubt or questions. You know, sometimes we think when someone becomes a Christian, they get baptized. Basically, what is they're crossing the line from questions, doubts, uncertainty to absolute certainty, no questions and doubts. That's not how this works. Okay? That's not how this works. There are all sorts of questions for the Christian. There are all sorts of questions for Abraham. In fact, immediately, verse 8, if you carry on reading in chapter 15, Abraham then goes, well, how will I know? You say I'm going to have this land, how will I know? He questions it. And if you read on through his life, it's not a great triumph, some of the decisions that Abraham makes. So he believes, but then he has doubts. He makes mistakes. Verse chapter 16, okay? 
He thinks, I need a son and an heir. My wife is too old. She's not getting pregnant, so what do we do? So his wife, Sarah, says, well, why don't you sleep with my servant? So Abraham, not showing great self-discipline or leadership, says, okay. And she does get pregnant. And that causes all sorts of issues. Chapter 17, God speaks to Abraham again. Abraham's response this time is he laughs at God. Sarah laughs at God as well, his wife. Abraham believes, but Abraham doubts. In Mark chapter 9, there's a passage in in that gospel where they bring, a father brings a child to Jesus. Actually, they bring it to his disciples, and this child is like troubled and afflicted by an evil spirit, it says. And the disciples are not able to do anything about it, and eventually they bring them to Jesus and say, can you do something with this child? This is what the father says. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This this is what Jesus says. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, that's, that's like, that's, what a, that's what being a Christian is like, okay? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So all four of you got baptized today. If you have questions or doubts at some point, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. That just means you're human. Because God is not calling you to certainty. God is calling you to trust, to follow him, that he is in control and he is trustworthy. And we're going to get into that in a moment. I do believe but help me with my unbelief. That's so important. That is so important for a Christian to hear. Some of you have been in scenarios, maybe people have taught you stuff where you've been bludgeoned over their head if you've shown any question or doubt. The gospel is full of questions. People going, God, I don't know. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. This is really difficult. I can't hear you. In fact, God seems to be silent. If you read the Psalms, it's full of where, why is God silent? Because God somehow, for some reason, takes us through seasons where he seems to go silent in order to do something in us. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes we think before we can say yes to God, all the circumstances need to be perfect and every question and doubt needs to be answered. Now, I think it is really important to ask questions and check out faith before you ever say yes to it. Absolutely. But you're never going to have every question answered. There's never going to eradicate every doubt. And sometimes as a Christian, you think you shouldn't have any doubts. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Jude 1 has this great little phrase. It says this, Jude 1 verse 22, Be merciful to those who doubt. God knows you have doubts at times, in other words. God also knows that you have to choose where to put your faith. See, faith is a choice that everyone makes. Okay? Sometimes we, we tend to think, don't we, that faith is just, just for those of a kind of religious bias, only those who are Christians or maybe subscribe to other religious views. Those are the people who have faith and everybody else, they don't. And that's often how people think about faith. Faith is for some people and not for others. But actually, faith is for everyone. Everybody has faith. In other words, whatever position you hold when it comes to God, life, death, origins, the universe, any position you hold requires a degree of faith. So to be an atheist, to believe that God doesn't exist, requires faith. 
Because you may think, and you're absolutely welcome to this view, but you may think, well, I think that's a reasonable point of view. I've, I've looked into it, I've read about it, and I believe that to be true. That's fine. But it requires faith because you can't prove it's true. So therefore, you are staking your future. You are taking a step of faith to believe in something that you cannot prove. It requires a degree of faith, in other words. To be a Christian is to say, well, I believe God is real. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I'm going to give my life to him. I cannot prove it, but I've looked into it, and I believe it's true. It requires a step of faith, right? Everybody, in other words, every position requires faith. Similarly, this, you can't abstain from the question of faith. Agnostics like to think, well, I'm not sure. I understand that view, but in the end... And being not sure does not mean you don't choose. Does that make sense? So we can go, look, I don't know. I don't know if God's real or not. I don't know if Jesus is who he is. I understand that view, okay? But being an agnostic doesn't mean you're not choosing. You are always choosing one way or the other. And we kind of fool ourselves that life doesn't involve the question of faith in terms of a choice. It does. I don't know if you've ever had to go to the supermarket to find something. Maybe you've been asked to go and get it. This happens to me occasionally, which is absolutely fair enough. But the problem is that I'm so like, unfamiliar with this particular supermarket, I never know where anything is. So I'm the guy who walks endlessly up and down. And because I'm a bloke and I'm proud, I don't like to ask anybody where anything is. So I'm there for hours looking, okay? Well, have you ever got to the... Let's say you're looking for shower gel, and there's about 7 million you know, kind of like different versions of shower gel on, on, on the, you know, right in front of you. And you stand there, and you kind of go, I don't know. And you, you, you try to pick this one, pick this one, and you try to work out what's the best price, and is that, is that the right one? And, and you basically just procrastinate. Anybody else? Yes? Anybody else? Okay, right. And you're just there. And you just are stationary, and in the end, you make no choice whatsoever. Right? Well, that's not how it works when it comes to faith, because our lives are not stationary. Our life is more like a journey. It's more like you're driving down a motorway and the road forks. Everybody has to choose one road or the other. Everybody chooses when it comes to faith. Think about being fit, okay? When it comes to the issue of fitness and health, no one abstains. Have you noticed this? Right? If you choose, like... If you choose to kind of get fit and go to the gym and run, you are choosing one path. If you don't do that, have you noticed your body chooses the other one? <laughs> yeah, we kind of go, oh, I'm just abstaining. No, you're not. You're choosing. Yeah? Your lack of activity means your body is choosing another route. That's what happens with faith. It's not like, I'll oh, just abstain. Everybody chooses, either proactively or not. Everybody chooses. John Ortberg, in a book called Faith and Doubt, puts it like this. Once we have been born, trying to put off what to do about God is like jumping off a diving board and trying to put off actually entering the water. Jesus, the longest talk he ever did in the Gospels, at the end of the talk, he then tells a story about two builders, one who builds a house on rock and one who builds a house on sand. Okay? And if you come here regularly, I refer to this guy. I think it's such an amazing story. Basically, the, it's, the story is that everybody, the house represents our lives. And he's saying everybody is building. Everyone. One way or the other, every choice we make, every decision we make, every decision we proactively, everything we decide not to do, is a decision in terms of how we build our lives. 
everybody builds, everybody chooses, one way or the other. And every choice requires faith. Here's the last thing I want to say. Faith is ultimately about choosing who or what to trust. Faith is ultimately about choosing who or what to trust. You see, when it comes to God, or in fact any kind of faith in someone, it's not enough to just believe that they exist. Believing that God exists is not ultimately what faith is. It's not enough just to believe in their existence. It's actually what you have to do is believe that what they say is trustworthy. Okay? So we have, I think it was announced this week, wasn't it? We got an election. June the 8th. It's the day after my birthday, after my 38th birthday. Uh, And, okay, so June the 8th. Now, when it comes to the election, right, I I have no problem in believing that all those candidates are real. Right? I, I believe in their existence. I have some issues about believing that everything they're saying to me is true. Right? You understand the difference? Faith is not about believing in their existence. It is about ultimately believing in them. Is what they're saying to me true? Is it trustworthy? Which is why in Genesis 15, when Abraham gets to the point where he says, I'm in, it is built off the fact that he hears God speak to him. Something about what God says and the way God speaks to him resonates in Abraham, and he says, I'm in. That's why in Romans 10, if you know the Bible, in Romans 10, it says, faith comes by hearing. In other words, you have to hear it inside, and it has to produce in you. There has to be a sense in which you go, I think that's true. Jesus again and again calls people to make choices to follow him. Jesus doesn't allow people to sit on the fence. Jesus doesn't say it's okay to abstain. He says, I'm calling you to follow me and make a decision. That's why he says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus said that thing to many people, they're like, I believe him. I can trust him. And when Abraham, in Genesis 15, hears God speak, something about what God says to him stirs him in such a way that goes, I'm in, I believe him. And the reason is, is when God speaks to him, what Abraham hears is not a possibility. What he hears is a promise. Now, this is critical. When the thing that stirs faith in Abraham is when he hears God speak, what he hears from God is not something that might happen. It's not an optional thing. What he hears when God speaks is a promise that he believes is trustworthy. So Romans 4, I'm going to read you a little passage from Romans 4, which looks back on this moment, and this is what it says. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. So what he's hearing is a promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham believes. He gets to the point where he goes, I'm in. Because when he hears God, what he hears is not an option or a thought or maybe a casual reference by God. What he hears is is a promise that he receives as something trustworthy. How does that happen? I want to 
Let me, as we, last five minutes, I want to explain how that happens for Abraham and maybe therefore how it can happen for you as well. Okay. If you read on in chapter 15, we're going to put the passage up. What, what you read on in chapter 15 is a really quite a bizarre passage. Okay. It's, it, if you didn't know it was from the Bible, you'd think it had been drug-induced. Okay. It's quite strange about what happens with Abraham after this. And I'm going to describe it to you, and then I'm going to try and explain to you why it is so relevant when it comes to coming to the point of saying, I'm in. Because everybody has to choose one way or the other. Okay? What happens? And Tim Keller, if you've ever read any Tim Keller stuff, he has some brilliant stuff on this. What happens? See, Abraham says, how will I know? Verse 8. He says to God, okay, I believe, but how will I know? How will I know you're going to do what you said? How will I know that going forward in the rest of my life, now I'm baptized or now I've said yes, how will I know this is going to work out and you are going to be who you say you're going to be and you're going to do what you say you're going to do? How will I know? And this is what God says. God says, verse 9, he says, go get a heifer or a cow, go get a ram, go and get a goat, go and get a dove and a pigeon. Okay? Abraham knows exactly what's going on. Now, we think that sounds weird, right? So Abraham said, how will I know? God says, go and get some animals. I might try that with my kids. How will I know, Dad? Go, get me. go and get me the dog, okay? okay? Bring the dog to me if you can find her, okay? Which is an act of faith as well, if you know our dog, okay? So he says, go and get these animals and bring them. Abraham brings them, and then Abraham does, without any more instruction, he does this thing. He cuts this one in half, cuts this animal in half, cuts this animal in half, and lays them out, okay? We're all thinking, this is weird. What is going on? Well, it wasn't weird in those days. What's happening is God is beginning to make a contract, a covenant with Abraham to say, this is to prove to you I will be everything I said I will be. Now, we did a wedding here, didn't we, two weeks ago, Josh and Naomi, okay? We decided not to do the animal thing at the wedding, okay? Okay, because in our day, we don't sacrifice and split animals in half, right? What we do is we make promises when we want to make a kind of, we make promises and we write our names on a contract and we sign it. That's how we make contracts. That's our way of committing, and into those contracts are often there will be going to be repercussions if we are not faithful to those contracts. That's when you, you know, buy a house or you rent a house, there are contracts. Legal documents. Well, in those days, there were no legal documents, so what they would do is they would cut a covenant. They would get animals, cut them in half, okay? And then if Tristan and I were making a promise like this to each other, what we would do is I would walk down in between these animals, and then Tristan would do that. Okay? And what we would do, we would visually reenact the promise. And what we're saying in those moments is, just like these animals have been basically kind of sacrificed and cut in half, and the birds are coming to eat their flesh, if I don't fulfill my half of this promise, let that happen to me. We are visually reenacting, if you like, the consequences if we are unfaithful to the promise. We're making a contract together. We are cutting a covenant. When God says to Abraham, go and get the animals, God is saying, I'm going to make you a promise. Right? That's what's happening. Now, if you read on in this passage, what happens is normally when people would make a covenant like this, both parties would walk down in between the animals. Okay? Because both parties are saying, I'm in. I'm committing to this. You are committing to this. They are acting out the consequences. Normally that's what happens. But actually in this passage... There is only one person or one thing that passes down 
between the animals. And that's when you read in the passage, what you find is there is a smoking firepot and a blazing torch. Now, that's when it starts to get really like, what's going on? Okay, well, the smoking pot and the blazing torch basically are symbols referring to God. So if you know your Bible, what you'll know is the words smoke and blaze refer to, they're the same words used in the top of Mount Sinai when God is announcing his presence to Moses. And it's the same words used when God is the fire, the pillar of fire for the Israelites through Egypt. In other words, it is a picture of God's presence, okay? That's all you need to know. And it's God's presence that moves in amongst the animals, okay? Abraham doesn't move. Only God's presence moves. What is happening? Well, what is happening is this. God knows that the issue in the relationship between him and Abraham and the issue between us and him is not whether he is going to be trustworthy. The issue is whether I can be trustworthy, whether I can follow, whether I can fulfill what I know I need to fulfill. He knows that. And what God is saying is, I'm going to pass through the covenant. I'm going to be the one who walks up and down the covenant. In other words, God is saying to Abraham, this is how you will know that I will be everything that I promise to be. Because I will make this promise not only on my behalf, but I will make it on your behalf as well. God is saying, let it be done to me. Let me be the one who carries the cost of the covenant, of the promise that we are making, so that if I fail to fulfill what I'm saying, or Abraham, you fail to fulfill what you're saying, let the penalty be on me. Let me be the one who is cut in half. Let me be the one who dies. Let me be the one whose uh, animals come to feed on my flesh. God is saying, I will bear the cost of the failures fulfill the promise either on your side or my side. If you know the gospel story, you will know that God is echoing what is going to come in Jesus. Because centuries later, Jesus is the one who dies. Because we are unable to fulfill our side of the story, right? Jesus is the one who dies. God does die. God does pay the penalty of the covenant that we can't keep. As a way of saying to us, I am utterly trustworthy. You can trust me that I will do everything I promise I will do. God is saying in that moment, I'm going to go for this, through this for both of us. I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. May I be cut off if I do not do my half of the promise if you don't do yours. He's saying to Abraham, I will bless you. I will fulfill everything I promise to do, even if it means I am cut off, even if it means I have to die. And that is what happens to Jesus on the cross. God is saying this, I will do everything, my half of it and your half of it. Everything to fulfill what I have promised to do. In other words, God is saying to Abraham, I am completely true to my word. You can completely trust me. I am trustworthy, but you have to choose. What's our side? We have to choose. Everybody chooses. The choice is inevitable. One way or the other, everybody chooses when it comes to God. Whether we're aware of it or not, that's what's happening through our life. And God is saying, I'm completely trustworthy. 
I've done everything that needs to be done in order for you to come to me, and I've demonstrated completely that I will be true to my word, but everybody chooses. Let's stand. We're going to pray, and the band are going to come. going to pray and I want to encourage you wherever you are, whether you are a Christian, whether you are seeking and asking questions, uh, whether you just think I'm I'm not really into, I don't even believe in God, that's fine. But I I just want to pray for everybody, wherever you are on this journey, that, that you will take a step. Okay? Let's just pray. God, we thank you for your presence in this place and I want to thank you for uh you love people and you want to help them on their journey and I want to pray for the truth of your words to just bear fruit in our lives and I pray even now God that you would plant these things in our hearts and that what is the things that are true of you would bear fruit in our lives and have an impact on many across this room I pray Amen